back to Tay Learning. My name is Danny, And I'm Olivia. We are your co-hosts. And we are in a silly, goofy mood. <laughs> we really are, though. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, I do know why. We're recording at night, which we don't yeah, yeah. do. We don't do. I don't know. It just doesn't feel... It just It feels like normal, like, Olivia, Danny FaceTiming each other, and we, we talk about dumb things and it doesn't feel like we're trying to get down to business and recording it's really hard to get down to business when I just want to talk about like our day right because when we record in the morning the only thing on my mind is the content of the podcast because nothing has happened Make yet podcast but um, we're off for a great start okay okay almost unfortunate that we're in such a silly goofy mood for such a less silly topic yeah which is the mental cages series as always, trigger warnings for mental health talks, because that is what these series are about. Yeah, as we talked about in the anti-hero episode, mental cages, that phrase we pulled from This Is Me Trying as a play on a way to say this is about mental health, and we don't want to straight up say this is about mental health. It's a really bad series name. <laughs> mental cages, the idea is that we're breaking down songs that not just allude to, but kind of confirm Taylor's anxiety and depression. Y'all seem to really like Antihero, us breaking it down, because there's a lot of layers to that song for how poppy and fun and longest number one hit for Taylor that it is. And the truth of the matter is that she oftentimes buries those songs that are really hard for her to talk about, those topics that are really hard for her to talk about behind beautiful melodies or poppy melodies. And The Archer takes it in a completely different direction than Antihero in where it is a mid-tempo ballad, a track five, and it wasn't technically a single. It was like a promotional single. Yeah, it was definitely released before the album Lover came out, which it is track five on Lover, for those who don't know. So it came out in 2019. And I I remember this is when I started like paying attention again to Taylor Swift, right? So like I was like paying attention to the anticipation of Lover coming out. And so I listened to The Archer the day that it was released. I did too. We've talked a lot on this podcast about our relationship with Taylor Swift at the time. And I, as I've said before, had a lot of bitterness toward Lover because I had just been broken up with. Like my heart was not, not just broken up with, my heart was shredded and then lit on fire and then the ashes were stepped on so lover was a really hard time for danny and so when the archer came out i was like oh yes lover had not come out yet right we'd only gotten me which is not really a love song and you need to come down which is very much they're still happy but they were happy they're happy (laughs) they were happy and I, i was anticipating lover and i'm like no fuck off man i'm sad the archer made me feel better because she was also sad. <laughs> I was like driving home from work from my day job. I was having my own existential crisis because I was working in a cubicle, a lifeless, no windows cubicle, my first pit girl job. And the archer was playing and I was driving my 30 minutes from the suburbs into the city where I lived. And I was sobbing to the song. I love that. I was kind of one of the girlies who didn't get it for a couple of years, like a couple of years, the archer was just sort of mid for me. I, I didn't really feel like it did much and upon like analysis of why I felt that way I don't think it was because of the lyrics I think it was because of the way it was produced it it feels like it's driving somewhere it feels like it's going to drop somewhere it's like leading up to a, a drop that's going to happen that never happens so it kind of it kind of stays 
sonically stagnant throughout the whole thing, which I think is the point. But at the t- I wasn't analyzing it at the time, I guess is what I'm getting to. We typically note that we like songs more after we do an analysis on them. And mm-hmm. I'm imagining that that will hold true for us and hopefully for the listeners too. But something me and Olivia have both been experiencing lately is a hyper fixation on the Archer. Yeah, I've really grown to like it. It used to be a lover skip for me. And now it's like, I'll play it by itself. It was always very middle of the pack for me because it was hard for me to listen to. And now it's on my like on repeat. Don't know what's going on. It's like I got dial drunk by Noah Khan, Motion Sickness, Phoebe Bridgers, The Archer, Taylor <laughs> Swift. Again, those songs I should really unpack with a professional. And I do. Anyway, <laughs> The Archer. As always with our analysis episodes, we are going to talk a little bit about the background of the song like we already kind of have. We're going to go through the song by the lyrics, and then we are going to talk about the critical and social reception of the song. So we went through the background a little bit, but it is basically this track that has to deal with the topics of insecurities, anxiety, and existential crises. It was released as a promotional single on July 23rd, 2019, so about a month before Lover came out. And when Taylor was talking about it on her Instagram live stream, she said, quote, The Archer is not the next single. It's just a song I love on the album, Lover. I haven't made a video for it or anything. This is just sort of a glimpse into another side of the album I wanted to show you. She hinted that The Archer was going to be a song in a lot of ways. Like, there were a lot of Cupid's with their bow and arrow, there were bows and arrows in places. And then the You Need to Calm Down video, Haley Kiyoko is seen shooting a target that had the number five on it and hitting it with an arrow. So the archer. People wonder why we're crazy and overanalyze like every single frame. <laughs> videos. <laughs> and that is literally why. Also, this isn't really an Easter egg because she has no control over when she is born, but she is a Sagittarius, which is represented by an archer. That has to be a thought in her brain, whether whether or not it's on purpose, right? Like, she's very much aware that she's a Sagittarius. (laughs) If she were a Leo, it would have been, I've been the lion, I've been the prey. I'm the lamb. I've I've been the lion, I've been the lamb. That's just Twilight. We can't record at night anymore, <laughs> except for when we're getting drunk. <laughs> um, so we know that Taylor really loves this song, and it's interesting how much she loves her songs that are her kind of bearing her soul. I think she really likes to unpack her trauma and just share it with her fans. And I think that's why The Archer wasn't like an official single, even though Antihero was. Antihero was so poppy in its production. Regular old people weren't listening to The Archer. Taylor Swift fans were. Exactly. And I don't think it would have done well as an official single, personally. Agreed. Because people don't get it. You were talking earlier about the beat not really going anywhere. There never being a fall off. People don't like that. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, it just feels like it's leading somewhere the entire time that you never get to. You never get to that place, which... I think it's on purpose. It's supposed to make you feel uncomfy and a little anxious. Before we jump into the lyrics, I want to give a little bit of insight into my life as we talk about this song, because I really love The Archer, and I feel really passionately about it, again, particularly of late. But seven years ago, uh, little Danny was off studying abroad. (laughs) I have to do that every time I say it. 
I was in Australia and that's important context because I felt very alone on my study abroad trip. I was 10,000 miles away from home. Everything's expensive in Australia. They're a giant island and they know it. And I was struggling quite a bit and I was diagnosed with depression. And I believe now that that was a misdiagnosis. A couple of years ago, I was formally diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and anxiety and depression often go hand in hand. You can have one without the other, but they often show symptoms and cross over. It's like a Venn diagram, right? You know, when I was formally diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, I was like, this makes a lot of sense now. And I can say it out loud. I have anxiety. I've had panic attacks my entire life. Sometimes they're provoked. Sometimes they're unprovoked. It's just my anxiety builds up and it's like shaking a soda bottle and then the pop, pop the top comes off Mm -hmm. and I don't even really remember what happens during my anxiety attacks the archer as a song to me feels like the beginning of an anxiety attack the tempo that begins to drive the added in vocals of her singing on top of herself repeated motifs throughout the song repeated lyrics the archer is just the first stage of an anxiety attack yeah that's why I think it's so relatable And if you don't get it, I'm jealous of you. If you do get it, I empathize with you. So hopping into the song, she starts out with combat. I'm ready for combat. I say I don't want that, but what if I do? This line to me is so, I swear I don't love the drama. It loves me. told you I'm crazy. I swear I don't love the drama. It loves me and I can't let you go. <laughs> it's kind of like her saying, like she said, her whole career she wants that everlasting, beautiful, perfect love. But what if she wants the crazy love? Like, because that's all she knows, right? Up until this point, she's only known unhealthy relationships. Like, she's only witnessed and been a part of relationships that crash and burn and die. And that's all she knows. That's her defense mechanism when something goes wrong. In we know that this is a likely about her relationship with Joe Alwyn, right? Uh, because it's on Lover. And we see it reflected in several songs on Lover. This is the point in her relationship with him where, you know, the honeymoon stage has kind of gotten over. She knows that she's in love with him. Now it's just the question of how long can she make this work with him? Because she's developed all of these like crazy girl coping mechanisms, i.e. the great war like this is like that era you know and I feel like this opening line demonstrates that like all she knows is to fight and she says all the time that she doesn't want that but what if she does want that drama what if she needs that spark that ignition in her relationships and because she's accused so often of playing the victim it's almost like she's having the self-actualization moment of I always say I don't want this but I'm kind of the common denominator here in all these feuds. Now, I have defense of Taylor here where I hop into, you could say the same thing for them in their feuds. We could say the same thing for all of us. But she's having that moment of, man, I am I the bad guy? Am I the problem? It's me, if you will. Like, it's kind of a, a prequel a little bit to Antihero in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I guess in a different sense, too, like going off of that, I say I don't want that, but what if I do? What if it meant, like, she knows that she doesn't want that because obviously she doesn't. Like, who wants that, right? But she has all these people screaming at her, like, you're the crazy one. You always, like, want to fight with people. You always entrap people and, like, just to break up songs about them. And I bet that kind of gaslights her in her darkest moments where she 
believes what other people to say about her as being true. Mm -hmm. So like she knows in her heart that she doesn't want that. But when she's alone and her brain is getting the best of her, she can't help but believe what other people say about her. Also using the combat, I'm ready for combat as a two-sided coin of one side being like public feuds and Katy Perry, Scott Borchetta, et cetera. And the other side being a relationship. She's compared relationships to battles quite a bit. You said the Great War earlier. Great example. Let's Go Battle, which is an unreleased track. Even like the story of us alludes to it a little bit. Like relationships. losing me. Losing me. Fighting in only your army. It's mm-hmm. just, it's very clear to me that Taylor in a lot of ways sees relationships as a battle and you're either on the same side fighting the world or you're fighting each other and there's no in between. Yep. She continues on to say, because cruelty wins in the movies. I've got a hundred thrown out speeches I almost said to you. Going off of her saying like, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to fight you. I'm ready to fight in this relationship against you. Like, because that's all that I know. That's my number one defense mechanism being vulnerable is scary to me which is why she keeps throwing out her honest thrown out speeches right and when she says because cruelty wins in the movies right she she sees all these fictional relationships that are built on those like crazy intense passionate angry like I don't know very many movie relationships that are like truly healthy relationships right <laughs> because then what's the point of that being a movie that's kind of boring to watch and so when she says cruelty wins in the movies it always works out for them so why does she need to be vulnerable when that works out for them in the movies mm-hmm. oh yeah for sure and she's spoken at length no pun intended about speaking now about saying things that you need to say or not saying things and which one's going to haunt you more what you say or what you don't say and so that i've got a hundred thrown out speeches i almost said to you that's got to be a very interesting thought process going in her brain of the value of saying something versus the value of not saying something and isn't it interesting though that her like whole thing with speak now where like you know i think you should just speak now speak what you think the entirety of the album of speak now wasn't what she actually said when she wanted to say it it's what she said when she finally had the time to sit down and analyze her feelings and thoughts and put it into a song and i feel like it kind of shows that time and time again she misses that opportunity in person over and over and over again to say what she thinks to say how she feels and the best way that she knows how to do it is turning to songwriting she doesn't say it directly to that person she says it through her songs She continues on with, easy they come, easy they go. I jump from the train. I ride off alone. So, of course, easy they come, easy they go traditionally means that if it's easy to get, it's easy to lose. And in context with, I jump from the train, I ride off alone, she has spoken at length or sung at length about trains being kind of a metaphor for relationships it's happened in a lot of her songs she's done it in my favorite song new romantics we wait for trains that just aren't coming and in the prologue to red taylor says there's something to be learned from waiting all day for a train that's never coming trains to her mean relationships for whatever reason that's what she sees in her brain so easy they come easy they go if we're talking about that in the context of a relationship it's she has these relationships they've never lasted super long so easy they've come easy they go and she jumps off the train she rides off alone she's finishing the relationship here or she's done or she's moving on and it's that easy even if she still holds on it's 
if it's easy to obtain, it's easy to lose. And she's realizing that now. It's kind of interesting too, because I feel like the line, easy they come, easy they go, could apply to all types of relationships in her life, not just like romantic partners, but friends, acquaintances, business partners. Like she's a magnet for people who desire any level of fame. So of course, gaining friends, gaining romantic suitors is easy for her because who wouldn't want to be friends with Taylor Swift? Who wouldn't want to date Taylor Swift? But they're also easy for her to lose because she's crazy girl. Remember the media tells her like she can't hold on to a guy for more than three months. Time and time again, her relationships keep not working. So she believes it too. Mm -hmm. She's really influenceable. Yeah, in her darkest moments, at least. The, the girl that she puts out on stage that is confident and knows her self-worth has, like, guards up. But when she writes songs like this, it's her giving us a peek into her most vulnerable and secure moments, mm -hmm. which isn't easy. She continues on with, I never grew up. It's getting so old. Help me hold on to you. I love this line. And I love this line quite a bit because I never grew up. It's getting so old. I feel ties into something that happens later. So I'm pinning that. I'm putting a pin in that because I want to remember it. Got to say it now so I remember it. <laughs> but additionally, I never grew up. It's getting so old. It feels like she's, again, having a self-actualization moment of her own ineptitude in handling drama and handling relationships. And again, I'm not saying that she is those things. I'm saying that in her darkest moments, like Olivia just said, she feels those things. Absolutely. She feels inadequate in handling this drama and these problems. I never grew up. It's getting so old. I do this over and over and over again. And it's my fault. I need help. If we're going to make this work, I can't do it alone. Cause I've proven again and again and again that I can't help me hold on to you. Yeah, this line gives how long will it be cute all this writing or all this crying in my room. Will it be cute? All this crying in my room. And it also gives I have this thing where I get older but just never wiser. I have this thing where I get older but just never wiser. Again, I feel like it's the things the media says, the things that people that hate Taylor Swift say of like, she's never grown out of like her teenage phase. She's just, just so boy obsessed and she just writes bad breakup songs about them. And she's a man eater and she, she will chew him up and spit him out and write a nasty breakup song about him. And all of her songs are so whiny. All she does is sing about breakups and she's so whiny and she never like self-reflects. And I feel like this line just encompasses it in the most like simple way. I never grew up. It's getting so old. People are tired of like her t quote teenage love songs, even though they aren't that anymore. But that's how the world sees her music still. And she's tired of it too. Like this song in the two major ways it can be interpreted are not satirical that's not the right word but looking at it from like the lens of the media and what they put on her and looking at herself in the mirror and yeah. I feel like those definitely go hand in hand 
but depending on like the mood she's in when she's listening or the mood that you, the listener, is in when you're listening is whether it's her having a self-actualization moment or like an eye roll moment of, yeah, I know I never grew up. It's getting so old versus I never grew up. It's getting so old. And help me hold on to you. That line also directly mirrors and I will hold on to you from New Year's Day. It's very much her saying like a version of I need your help to do this. It doesn't matter how much I hold on because I've tried that in the past. hasn't worked. Yeah. And you know, up until this point, like she, I mean, she did Calvin Harris for one year, but that was her longest relationship at that point. She was dating guys for like three months at a time over and over and over, which does something to you as a hopeless romantic who just really wants to love and to be loved the fact that someone doesn't want you as much as you want them and they only want you for three months and move on immediately, that messes you up. Mad relatable as a hopeless romantic or used to be my longest relationship prior to Matt, which just turned three years, was six months. Six months. Yeah. It does. It it's so damaging. I had that active feeling, especially when Lover came out. Maybe that's why this song was so comforting. Mm-hmm. I had this active feeling of I'm not enough. I hold on as much as I can and it doesn't seem to matter. Yeah. And something else about that line too, help me hold on to you, is her first step in being vulnerable in this song, right? It's her first time being like, I need help. I need help here. I can't just do it by myself. What I've been doing isn't working. And I need you to meet me halfway, even though I'm trying to fight you right now. I need you to like, help me hold on to this because I can't do this (laughs) by myself. Not to break up the lyrics, but before we jump into the chorus, we're going to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor and we'll see you back here in a minute. Okay, we're back. Olivia, give me this chorus. I've been the archer. I've been the prey. Who could ever leave me, darling? But who could stay? (sighs) Okay. Uh, Seeing this live at the Eras tour, I think, also had a big impact. Because this is when, like, the camera's panning underneath her and she does the archer movement and then shoots her hand forward. I've been the archer. I've been the prey. It's so beautiful. It's so simple. And really, this is so literal. I mean, not literal, right? Like, she hasn't shot somebody with an arrow. arrow, So, like, literal might be the wrong word. But she's been the person who ends things. She dumped Taylor Lautner. <laughs> she, she's ended relationships before. But she's also been broken up with on a 27-second phone call by Joe Jonas. She also mm-hmm. had Jake G- uh, Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Jiggle hips. Jiggle hips. <laughs> she also had Jake Gyllenhaal end things with her and then try to reignite them. She's been the archer. She's ended it. And she's been the prey. It's been ended for her. I feel like insecure anxiety like this has deep roots, right? So we can analyze this too in a way that's not romantic relationships, but heavily influences her romantic relationships still. Like she's been the archer in terms of she's fired shots at other people at Katy Perry, right? For example, she's been the prey of Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, Scooter Braun, like She's caused other people issues. People have caused her issues. She knows that she's hurt other people with her actions. And she's been hurt deeply by other people with their actions. So, like, she knows both sides. Speaking of knowing both sides, everyone knows who Cupid is. 
dive deeper into who or what Cupid is. Cupid mm. is supposed to be the Roman god of desire and affection. And according to the Latin poet Ovid's Metamorphosis, Cupid carried two kinds of arrows, one that caused extreme infatuation and the other caused whoever it struck to flee, which completely right there mirrors Taylor's dichotomy between being the archer and being the prey. Are you staying or are you running? I love that. <laughs> which leads into that next line you said who could ever leave me darling but who could stay it's so interesting to see that moment of the i know i'm the shit yeah yeah this pompous self-involved who could ever leave me and then like uh, but who could stay like i get it i get both sides yeah especially like in those moments when you feel really confident right especially it's taylor swift like she knows how successful and desirable she is she knows come on she knows but still somehow despite her having all these good qualities her loving so hard her being beautiful her being successful they can't stay more than a few months for some reason so who could stay because no one else has in the past and I think we all experience that at some point right like this moment of damn I am such a catch who could ever leave me and then you have a few drinks, and it's like, ooh, who could stay? Everyone, Everyone. <laughs> could leave me. Everyone could leave me. Why? They don't actually like me. They're lying. <laughs> I think it's really interesting. The first few shows on the Eras tour after the news broke that she and Joe Alwyn broke up, devastating because she does the "Who could ever leave me, darling?" and her face is like she. I don't. I can't even like describe the face on the camera. Camera. I can only do it for Olivia, but it's like wide eyed and like ooh. And then like, she goes, "Yikes! Ouch! <laughs> that hurt." Yeah, it's and I think she's kind of making not making a joke out of it, but she's lightening the mood a little bit, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's fair to say that she kind of makes a joke of some of her lyrics currently as a coping mechanism and that's that's valid and to be expected there's this clip of her doing this is why we can't have nice things i'm sure you've seen it and it gets to the bridge and she's she's like uh here's to my baby and like no thoughts behind those eyes yeah like dead face like she's annoyed to be singing that line (laughs) you ain't reading what they call me lately and then she gets all smiley and her eyes get right here (laughs) there's not a single thought behind those eyes when she's singing about joellen lover i i my heart breaks when i watch her perform the song lover because before she you know does her whole thing about this might have been about my life at some point but hopefully it's it's, reminds you all of this night tonight And then while she's singing it, oh, she just, no thoughts, no thoughts, just vibes. It makes me have even more FOMO for missing the reputation tour. Cause what I would give to have experienced her perform live a song that was about Joe Alwyn when she was head over heels in love with him, because like the love just like radiated off of her during those performances. And not that like, you know, I can accept that her and Joe Allen were meant to be and whatever. And like, that's fine. Like I'm not like, I didn't get anything from their relationship besides Taylor Swift being happy. And that made me happy, mm-hmm. but there's just something about watching someone just like ooze love while they sing a love song. That's still relevant in their life. It's just magical. She's human. She's a very good actress. She can paint these stories and make you believe them when she's on stage. And I've always felt that way, but it's gotta be hard because she is human to, 
try to tap into an acting emotion about being in love when the muse for that is no longer in your life and also you have negative connotation now again we don't know the intricacies of what happened with joe alwyn we probably won't know until cs11 and until more stuff comes out but what we can safely speculate is that however it ended it did not end great yeah and like it ended recently right so like there are stages of grief to be had that are happening during this tour and if she's going through a bitter era because that helps her cope then that helps her cope whether or not something very bad happened right I I doubt something minorly bad happened to end a six-year-long relationship but like once she works through it we can get her her self-reflection on it you know yeah she continues on with the song singing dark side I search for your dark side but what if I'm all right, 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 right here? Something interesting that happens musically here at the beginning of this verse is a previously unheard bass beat, like dun 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 Like that begins to become more prominent. It's that like ramp up. Bass picks up. And so it almost like you can feel it in your chest right there. Yeah. Again, the building of an anxiety attack, but that's particularly prevalent here in the lyrics of dark side, I search for your dark side. Ergo, I search for the catch all the time in this relationship. Ooh, but what if the catch is me? I kind of thought of it too as like, I search for your dark side. Like, I'm not the only crazy one with these crazy thoughts and feelings, right? Like, there has to be something wrong with you too, because there's something wrong with me. Like, there has to be something wrong with you too. Finding comfort that she's not alone in being feeling crazy this line itself mirrors a lyric from sad beautiful tragic you've got your demons and darling they all look like me and you've got your demons and darling they all look like me the lyric that we're talking about has multiple meanings depending on how you interpret it as do many of Taylor Swift's songs and lyrics but this one right here it's like I'm searching for the catch in you but then it switches around what if I'm right here basically but what if the catch I'm searching for your demons but I am I'm the demon (laughs) what if the red flag what if the catch is you liking me in the first place I just got chills <laughs> I know, like it's it really depends on how you interpret it. I've always interpreted that line as like I'm searching for the catch. And I really think that the catch is liking me at all. I'm your demon. I'm your dark side. I yeah. represent the midnight rain to your sunshine, if you will. Yeah, if I'm the problem and I'm why no one wants to be with me, you wanting to be with me, there must be something wrong with you. She continues with and I cut off my nose just to spite my face then I hate my reflection for years and years. So for those who don't know, to cut off someone's nose despite their face means essentially that they're doing actions that end up hurting themselves in the end. Anyway, I relate that line directly to the line previous. I cut off my nose just to spite my my face and hate my reflection for years and years. She's constantly searching for the catch in the relationship over and over and over again. And You can't have a healthy foundation in a relationship if you're constantly looking for a red flag. You will find one. Like, if you're constantly looking, you will find one. If you're looking for an ick, you will find it. (laughs) Not that you should, like, close your eyes and not pay attention to things, but if you go digging, you will find something you don't like. 
and everyone's got red flags about them. Really, yeah. it's kind of just about finding which red flags you'll tolerate. And there are some that are far worse than others, but her constant hunt for the next bad thing or the catch or the ick or whatever it may be is what leads her to having these relationships end. The implication here from what I pick up is because she's trying to protect herself so much, so constantly in her relationships after the way she's been burned, is she kind of burns the relationship because it's safer that way possibly too like when she's like searching for these red flags and she can't find any that makes her panic right and I imagine her kind of combat I'm I'm ready for combat she's gonna make a red flag like there's no red flag in the relationship okay she'll she'll whip one up right now let's fight and let me say some nasty things to you and see how you'll react oh you didn't react well well fuck you anyway it's so afterglow. Like, hey, it's yeah. on me in my head. I'm the one who burned us down. It's on me in my head. I'm the one who burned us down. Guess for like context, like when I'm saying these things, I'm not just like making up these wild assumptions about that Taylor Swift is crazy, right? It's in context of other songs that I've listened to that I just like forget to mention like afterglow the great war false god like she's admitted in other songs that she has this tendency to like fight when it's not just like she fight for the sake of fighting because she needs to feel something and she feels like she needs to fight about it and Joel basically being like you're crazy you need to calm down like you literally need to sit down right now and just breathe and like we're good it's fine like chill <laughs> She's got a real, like, self-sabotaging thing happening quite a bit, which I relate to. And Olivia's right. When we talk about these things, it's not like we're saying, ew, like, Taylor Swift feels this way, feels this way. Taylor tells us, right? The context of her songs tell us. And she's really raw in the song about this habitual need to have a red relationship, the passion, the 100 miles per hour. If there's no problems, if there is nothing giving her a red flag, that's the red flag. And then when she stirs up these problems that otherwise wouldn't have existed or been prominent enough to care about, she cuts off her nose to spite her face and then she hates her reflection. She is disappointed in herself for what she has done, what she feels she has ruined. Yeah. And to be like clear too, we don't know on how grand of a scale these things are, right? Like she could feel like there are these huge, giant mistakes, missteps that she's made in this relationship with Joe specifically, but to him, it possibly wasn't that big of a deal, right? Like she feels like it's the end of the world because she's struggling with these literal mental cages anyway. So she could possibly be feeling like her explosions her her battles her lashing out is way worse than it actually is so like yeah it's just one of those things that's up to interpretation and when we're analyzing these songs we're getting her deepest darkest moments which aren't exactly completely truthful yeah and we also don't know how much she inflates them for the art of storytelling and not saying that she lies or anything but you know she might be embellishing a little bit for the tale. I don't think the archer is necessarily an example of that, just based on context from other songs, but really don't know. We we have no real true way of knowing. We then go on with, I wake in the night, I pace like a ghost, the room is on fire, invisible smoke. 
Ooh-wee. Invisible smoke right here brings us back to that previous line where we assume that she is creating problems. The room is on fire, invisible smoke. Is the room actually on fire? Mm, it's not. Maybe not. And like at this point too, the the music starts really building. So it's mm-hmm. kind of starts in the beginning like a lot more minimal instrumental and at this point it's like really like ramping up like we're getting somewhere we're getting somewhere and it really aligns well with like waking up like suddenly in the night and like having to pace around because like you can't you can't stay still and that's kind of exactly what the instrumental makes you feel like I wake in the night I pace like a ghost to me is quite literally just I think she's telling a tale about her being awake in the middle of the night, which we know she loves to do. She's got a whole album about it. And she's walking around thinking, oh, my God, um, (laughs) what are these problems? Where are these red flags? Am I the problem? And the room is on fire implies panic, too. Mm -hmm. It's not real reason to panic over. All I'm hearing is an anxiety attack that is building musically, lyrically. That is where we're at. She continues with, and all of my heroes die all alone. Help me hold on to you. You hear all of my heroes die all alone and you think, well, damn, so often they literally do. It makes me think about the lucky one from Red with lyrics like big black cars and Riviera views and your lover in the foyer doesn't even know you. She's so afraid of people being close to her for naught and then leaving her when they've milked that person dry or melts her dry. All of my heroes die all alone. All these people that she's looked up to, they've ended up alone anyway. So why should she be any different? Yeah, this makes me think of the lucky one so, so much. If you haven't listened to our episode about the lucky one, highly recommend we did cover it, though it was at the very beginning of us doing the podcast. But like, I don't know, it's still <laughs> cool then, I think. But that was a while ago, you know, so I haven't listened to it in a long time. But it makes me think of the, they tell you that you're lucky, but you're so confused because you don't feel pretty, you just feel used. That you're lucky, but you're so confused because you don't feel pretty, you just feel used. And all the young I like a lot here that all of my heroes die all alone. This is kind of the lyric where you can hear that she's singing on top of herself because she definitely recorded this a couple times in the booth, and instead of cutting those sounds together to like make one flow she's singing on top of herself and i like that because once again we're building towards what should be a climax that never comes it's just anxiety and that's an example of that musically the line itself to all of my heroes dial alone help me hold on to you it implies that she feels like she's destined to be alone too because all that she's ever wanted was what her heroes have That's what she's been building her career for. She's so career focused that like, why wouldn't she be destined to be just like them alone? She doesn't want that. So please help me hold on to you. Help me hold on to this. I don't want to be alone. (laughs) Also the repetition of help me hold on to you. Once again, we're back to the anxiety of it all. She's already said, help me hold on to you. That lyric could have gotten across. She's repeating it because it is an anxious thought that is just rolling in her brain constantly help me hold on to you help me hold on to you I can't do this alone it makes me like just empathize with her so much for what she was feeling at this stage in her relationship with Joe like she knew that she loved him she knew that he loved her but I'm sure it hit a point obviously and we know it hit a point because of the music where 
she was like, how much more time do we have? Like the clock is running out at some point. When is it going to run out? And I have yeah. no idea when, and like, when are you going to leave me? When are you going to decide that I'm actually crazy and you're going to leave me? Like when, when is this going to happen? Do I keep trying to prevent it from happening or do I just rush it? <laughs> we get into the chorus again, which is slightly different this time. She sings, I've been the archer. I've been the prey screaming who could ever leave me darling but who could stay I see right through me I see right through me the screaming the line screaming who could ever leave me darling who could stay it's just I don't know how many times in this episode I've said or will say that this is just the musical version of an anxiety attack but that is yeah. what this is is she's literally building and in, into a scream now yeah like the room is on fire sets that she's starting her panic spiral and now she's screaming like who could stay like who could love me who could actually do this and it's just mm. and then the i see right through me i see right through me are these backing vocals it almost sounds like a devil and angel on the shoulder saying echo, it to her. yeah because that's the bridge right the bridge is i'm just gonna say it because I'm going to say it in like the way that it feels because they see right through me. They see right through me. They see right through. Can you see right through me? They see right through. They see right through me. I see right through me. I see right through me. Does it go that fast? No. Does it feel like it's moving that fast because the tempo is picking up and because those echoes that we just referenced are turning into shouting? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The That's a really good point to make the actual recorded vocals turn into like almost diluted shouts. I see right through me. I see and right like through me. Quieted down, right? Because it's not the main vocal, but like you can still feel that. This is the part of the song. This particular bridge is the part of the song that to me mirrors an anxiety or panic attack. The strongest of this repeated lines over and over again. And this heartbeat that's going up and sweat and being unable to control your emotions and your thoughts. Yeah, and it's just being moving able to this- breathe. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's um hyperventilating. Your brain is moving faster than you even have the ability to control, even if you want it to. Yeah, musically, I don't feel like the song builds up to a certain point, but I think lyrically and cadence-wise, I feel like this is the point. Like we've established anxiety, we've established starting to panic, and now we're actively panicking. And I think from here on out, it's like the aftermath of panic, at least like in my brain. Um, but I feel like this is the active panicking spot where everything that everyone has ever said about her like taylor swift can't hold on to a guy for more than three months she's just a man eater like she's probably crazy she's the common denominator in all of her failed relationships has she ever looked in the mirror and she's like they see right through me they see right through me when are you going to see what they see when are you going to see what they see because i see what they see so like when are you going to see it because it's definitely there i can confirm i've seen it She's obviously very anxious to allow people to get close to her because they're just going to see right through her. Also, like the line they see right through me can be interpreted in a couple of different ways, right? It can mirror back to where I pace like a ghost line where she's like, I'm not even, I'm not even that important once you get to know me. It's the delicate music video where she's, where no one even notices she's there until she sees her lover in the dive bar in the end. And finally she reappears as a person. Or it can be interpreted in the traditional sense of the idiom they see right through me of they're not believing anything I'm saying to them anyway. And I think it's a double entendre. I think it's both. It's, I think it's a play on the media wouldn't believe me even if I tried to defend myself. And on top of that, once people get to know me, 
I'm not important anyway. I'm really not as special as they think I am. Yeah, that's a good point that you made about like, they're not going to believe a word I say anyway. When we think of the context in which Taylor met Joe, when did she meet Joe? When did she start getting close to Joe after the whole 2016 Kimye drama when nobody believed her side and twisted all of her words against her? And I bet she didn't believe that this person she was getting to know for the first time would believe her, but he did, which was wildly surprising to her. We've heard in other songs. There will be at least one more song in this Mental Cages series that directly reference how repetition is the mm-hmm. an example of anxiety, a musical example of anxiety. And so the way she says, I see right through me, I see right through me, they see right through me, they see right through me, and how that could have multiple meanings. She could say, they see right through me. And one way means that they won't believe me anyway. And one's that they see right through me, that people close to me don't care anyway. So mm-hmm. it's just... Even though it's not like this lyrically magical bridge that we've come to expect from Taylor Swift, and I think that's why this song gets a lot of flack as a track five, it's it's this one's not about the lyrics as much as it is yeah. about the feeling. I think people forget that repetition is literally a literary device, especially in art like this, in poetry. Repetition is there for a purpose. It's not there for the beautiful elaborate words to show off your vocabulary, which is what a lot of people think of when they think good lyricism, good poetry is showing off, which Taylor Swift does plenty of that in other songs, right? She's good at that. But repetition is used for a purpose. And while we're not, we don't have much like words to analyze. We have, why is it being repeated so many times? What point is she trying to drive home? Why is this the line that is repeated so many times and the cadence of her repetition too is important like it's not just what she writes but how she delivers it and what is it that is repeated that we're analyzing mm-hmm. and she follows it up with all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put me together again because all of my enemies started out friends help me hold on to you i actually think this part for me this pre-chorus is where the anxiety attack finishes and breaks that's That's what I think too yeah this is like the sad aftermath of like I'm a mess I'm I'm such a piece of shit (laughs) not to like totally overshare on this podcast but I've done it before and I will continue to do it so when I've had my anxiety attacks I don't really remember the middle of them I don't know what happens in my brain but it kind of blacks out the middle I remember the beginning and I remember the end And the middle is just a whole lot of, well, middle. It's repetition, I imagine. It's heavy breathing. It's panic. And that's really it. It's all I remember happening during it. And then when it breaks, it's this moment of like relief and the, oh, the hyperventilating cools down. But it's like looking in the mirror and it's like, what the fuck was that? What is wrong with me? Why is this happening? Why did that just happen? And why can't I remember a goddamn minute of it? And why does it keep happening? Exactly. And the line, all the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put me together again is from a nursery rhyme. It's from Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. People hate this line because it's a Humpty Dumpty reference. And now I'm going to circle back to the pin I put in this episode earlier and unpop that pin. When she says, I never grew up, it's getting so old. This is her being childish again. This is intentional. She is saying, I am still a child. 
That is the point. Yep. And it again, I, I say this so many, I say, and again, because I, I'm referencing other episodes, go listen to them if you haven't listened. <laughs> I'm <laughs> where I just, I feel like I always drive home this point of when Taylor pulls out the kings and queens and fantasy and castles metaphor, I feel like it represents her early career, her love story career. And no matter like what happens, she can't be put back to that girl that she was wide-eyed, ready to take on the world, confident, loving life, feeling like she's so successful and like she's really, really lived up to her dreams and just so naive about the world and about what's to come for her. And she will never be that girl again. And I think she has a lot of a lot of things to unpack with that. It's very would have, could have, should have. Give me back my girlhood. It was mine first. And the understanding that she can't get back to there. She said mm-hmm. in her prologue for Speak Now, like, I often wish that I was still a little girl in my tiny bed. She yearns for that. And to some degree, don't we all? right? We we all kind of wish that we could go back and feel that feeling again. And when she references these childish things or childhood things, and she taps into that feeling, it's this moment of naivete and innocence that she just yearns for. Yeah. And here, with her anxiety, something that is traditionally very adult, even though children can struggle with anxiety and depression too, but for her, it's very adult. She misses it and uses the Humpty Dumpty metaphor as a way to try to grab it again. I feel like a lot of people are too harsh on the Humpty Dumpty reference here. It's like the sexy baby line, right? Like the line itself, it feels cringe on the surface, but it's so much deeper than that because it was written like that for a reason. And the line, because all of my enemies started out friends, help me hold on to you. It's my favorite line. It's my favorite line too. Ah! Yeah, it's my favorite line in the song because it's so fucking heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. Also, like, (laughs) this is going to sound really bad. I'm just outing all of our fucking secrets on this podcast. Uh, (laughs) Also relatable, right? Like, there's this really fine line between love and hate. It's very easy to toggle love and hate. And as Taylor said before, you can't do a whole lot with indifference, but you can work with love or work with hate because they're both emotions that are born of passion. And so her enemies coming from love and from being close it's not surprising and it's also very relatable it hurts deeper right when your arch nemesis is someone who was the person you confided in when like the person that like you put above all other people and you thought they would for you really was working against you the whole time it's so much easier when your enemy has just been evil and awful the entire time and they've never loved you and you've never loved them but it, it hurts worse when it's somebody that you at one time deeply, deeply cared about and expected that they felt the same about you. And to have that understanding that yeah. it's repeated in your life. All of my enemies started out friends. Think about the people in Taylor's life specifically that we know of that have been enemies, even if things are fine with them now. Katy Perry. Her relationship with Katy Perry began on mutual admiration and yeah. turned into literal bad blood. Again, they're fine now yeah. via the You Need to Calm Down video. You can go listen to the Now We Got Bad Blood episode with Katy Perry for more details on that. Enemy started out friend. Kanye West, enemy. She originally saw him with so much admiration and respect and love. And then she tried to be friends with him in a Speak Now era. 
and then 2016 happened yeah and she felt successful that they were friends she felt mm-hmm. successfully friends with him and kim wrong mm-hmm. scott borchetta scooter yeah, braun we're getting to the ones that hurt more scott borchetta like that one hurt her he was family yeah and he sold her off like a broodmare and justin bieber who not that she was super close with him but they were close they were buddies and Scooter Braun is his manager. And then a knife to the freaking chest, which we will unpack probably, maybe in the next season. Maybe we'll make you wait for it. Carly <laughs> Kloss. Yeah. That's who I think of when I think that line. Me too. Because mm-hmm. regardless of what you think, dear listener, their relationship was, to what degree you believe that they cared for one another. In any event, they cared for one another deeply. And now they are enemies. Yep. And like, no matter what their relationship actually was, you can't deny that fucking sucks. Yeah. Like, oh man, Olivia, you, (laughs) we've been friends since the time we've been friends for three years. We've had somebody close to us Mm -hmm. just break our fucking hearts. Mm -hmm. And it's devastating to watch it happen in real time. Somebody you love and care for and are rooting for and watching that castle crumble if you will it's hard and the realization that that enemy came from a friendship it's i wish i'd never met you type vibes my life would have been easier if you were never a part of it it's so much easier to be hated by somebody you don't care about than to be hated by somebody that you love (laughs) and love doesn't just go away even if you watch them become a bad person in front of you Mm -hmm. even if they are your enemies doesn't mean you don't love them I think this this is going to sound way deeper than I think it's supposed to. Some <laughs> of the people I hate the most are the people that I still love the most. Yeah. Because love doesn't just go away. Not that I actively hate anybody, but the people that I feel the most strongly toward. I mean, we're talking love and hate, so like, you know. Yeah. The people that I feel the most strongly toward negatively, unraveling love for them has been a process and it's been painful even if they hurt me and they have yep and then we repeat the help me hold on to you once again this is where the anxiety attack breaks and she's doing the grabbing the counter and looking in the mirror sweating and like what was the last five minutes yeah i don't know who she was (laughs) gosh and the help me hold on to you line when it's like in this you know phrase that it's in because all of my enemies started out friends help me hold on to you please don't turn into my enemy please don't ever become a stranger whose laugh i could recognize anywhere like please don't like please don't do what everyone else has done so we're at the final chorus of the song she closes the song with i've been the archer i've been the prey who could ever leave me darling but who could stay i see right through me i see right through me echoing who could stay who could stay? Who could stay? You could stay. You could stay. Combat. I'm ready for combat. So taking that top to bottom, obviously she repeats that I've been the archer, I've been the prey. More that- calmly now than the yeah. last chorus. Yeah, if we use that imagery of her like staring at herself in the mirror after this anxiety attack, it is calm. It's, who could ever leave me? But who could stay? I'm good with either, I guess. That's kind of how it hears to me even if the echoes are still in her head post-anxiety attack back there it it doesn't go away right like 
And then when she gets the who could stay, who could stay, who could stay, it's like she's kind of starting to like logically sort through these panic thoughts to me. Like she's like, like who could actually like who could do this? Who could he could do this? He he can do this. He can stay. He told me he can stay. Yeah, the logic breaking through that emotion here, kind of. And I love the live performance of it because even with Joelle out of the picture in her life, she turns and she's like, you could stay to the audience, to the people out there. Yeah, Olivia shouting, us, during the who could (laughs) stay. She understands at this point that some of the strongest relationships are the ones that are parasocial on both ends, her fans. Yeah. I know that she gets so much comfort in that. But she has to get so much loneliness out of that, too, which just makes me sad because that's not something we can really alleviate for her. You know, like we're here for her no matter what. And she knows it, which is why we have such a strong relationship with her, a parasocial relationship with her. Excuse me. (laughs) I'm very self-aware of my relationship with Taylor Swift, just so you know. (laughs) But at the same time, like we can't provide her a cozy why night in. We can't provide her... We could have uh, crying phone call, like right, because like she does that with like she has the fans that she invites to her house that secretly bring a second phone for the secret sessions to record and leak her album that she thought she trusted. So like sometimes even her fans can't be trusted on like a real true friendship level. There has to be a line with fans because she doesn't know if she can trust her fans to like be level headed with her because. So many fans don't see her as a human. The concept of staying, staying through anything bad that happens, isn't new to the Taylor discography. We see it in Stay, Stay, Stay from Red. Like, Stay, Stay, Stay. stay, stay. stay. I've been loving, like, even though it's a toxic relationship she's painting, you know, she's saying There's a value for her that even when she's crazy, they stay. Mm-hmm. Even when she's crazy they see through that crazy and they're like you're not I know your heart I know who you are Qu- sit down and quit being a silly fucking goose and be normal <laughs> for two seconds like quit yelling at me <laughs> and then <laughs> silly fucking goose I'm gonna make merch that says just a silly fucking goose on it <laughs> and then she has all you had to do was stay from 1989 where she's arguing all you had to do was stay. You had me in the palm of your hand. Literally, you would do the bare minimum, and it was stick around, bro. Yeah. Like, just deal with me being crazy because that's not what I actually mean. It's just a defense mechanism. I don't mean it. <laughs> and the style liner notes, her heart belonged to someone who couldn't stay. She just wants someone to stay, and she does it in New Year's Day. She sings, I stay when you're lost and you're scared and you're turning away. It must be so endlessly frustrating for her to feel like, I stay no matter what, and they never do. And that's how you get the what is wrong with me. Yeah, and I bet you won't stay either. (laughs) And maybe she turns up the for lack of a better term as I say this, turns up the crazy a little bit to see if they'll stay through that. Like the, I throw my phone at you and stay, stay, stay. The looking for red flags. She's just so, I don't know, she's so me sometimes, but like doing things to almost test the person you're with to see if they'll stay through the stuff you throw at them. So that in a normal normal life, the crazy that comes with normal life doesn't really impact the relationship. Kind of tying in like her, the idea of her like testing you know, her romantic relationships in false God, she literally says, and you can't talk to me when I'm like this, daring you to leave me just so I can try and scare you. And you can't talk.
yeah, everyone's looking for some like big powerhouse moment. And this song was not written for that. Yeah. So while there's a lot of debate in the Swifty community over whether The Archer is a skip or one of her best songs, I think that it says a lot that critics loved this song. And I think part of the reason critics love this song is because of like this line from Caitlin Kelly, who wrote in Forbes, that The Archer is a more nuanced acknowledgement of the well-documented highs and lows of our high-profile relationships. And the song's biggest strength is the artfulness of its lines. Enemy Sofiana Ramley says the song exposes the singer's insecurities, and a lot of people think that it's incredibly stunning. It's amazing that she's able to have this remarkably confessional, beautiful song and just release it as a promotional single, this really raw, beautiful song, and just move on. Some people even likened it to All Too Well. Ooh, interesting. Chris Willman of Variety said that the lyrics reflect a suspicious state of mind in a seemingly happy relationship where old fears arise easily, which is pretty much exactly what it is. Yeah. Rob Sheffield, who we've spoken about before, critic for Rolling Stone, said that The Archer is Taylor Swift's 11th best song. Dang, I want to see his list. I'll send it to you. It's ended up on a lot of, like, end of 2019 best song lists. Critics love this song. So regardless of what Swifties feel about it, the expectations that we set for her is oftentimes just unreasonable because we're comparing her to her. But Mm -hmm. in the world of the music industry, the world of Taylor Swift, The Archer is a standout. It is really good. It's, It's one of those songs that's, like, artfully done, right? It wasn't done to be a successful radio hit that's a different type of song but the artistry on this song is obvious it's not shake it off shake it off is not the archer shake it off succeeded for what it was meant to do and the archer succeeded for what it was meant to do it is a dreamy pop ballad and i love it and it's in my rotation it'll probably fall off in the next couple months as i always get a hyperfixation of taylor but man I love The Archer, and I love the way that it so beautifully and, frankly, succinctly and very obviously poignantly provides context of what it feels like to have anxiety, especially in a relationship. Yeah. And rando fun fact, it was recorded at Electric Lady Studios, where Taylor has been frequenting lately. So, TS11 where? (laughs) Also, I haven't mentioned this yet, but Jack Antonoff did produce this song for her. Not surprising at all. He's, yeah. His hands are all over her discography at this point. But that kind of explains the 80s synthiness in a lot of ways. It's also, to me, very telling of how close they are because she chose to, like, low-key bear her soul through this song with him, of all people. I love that. Best I can't wait for a deep dive on their friendship. Yeah, we did get this lovely suggestion email from somebody about deep diving her friendships. And so that is officially on the docket as we move away from the romantic muses and save our Joe Alwyn stuff for later. We can definitely look into her friendships. We're here for that. Absolutely. In the name of Taylor learning, what did you Taylor and Danny? I Taylor what you just told me that it was recorded at Electric Lady Studios. I don't know. Okay. This is like an interesting, I guess. So I talked in the beginning how this was a slow burn Taylor Swift song for me. I didn't really like read into it. I didn't analyze it, especially like these days. Now that we have the podcast, I don't allow myself to super analyze songs because it's much more fun to do it for this podcast specifically, like in anticipation of episodes. So that way you get my genuine reactions to things. And I never put together 
where the panic attack was happening and I never put together that like breakthrough moment like we both at least you and I Danny agree that after the bridge it's a breakthrough moment where she's like calming down again and I never caught that until we did our analysis so next week is our season finale season two finale as the U.S. leg comes to an end what are we talking about for our season two finale so for season two finale, we thought it would be fun to do another music video breakdown. And what better music video than the I Can See You music video? Because it's being talked about all over the place. Taylor Lautner is in it. There are Easter eggs in there. There's a 1989 reference. Like, there's some things to unpack. And I feel like, especially, like, today, the day that we're recording it, it is July 27th. Taylor changed her Instagram profile picture back to Midnight's. She's called the Speak Now TV era over what's next we talked about this before we jumped on hot mics and i'll say it really quickly just to get it out there olivia and i do hypothesize that she does not want to release ts11 when there are still unreleased taylor's versions because she realized that midnight's respectfully was kind of paid dust because we're so focused on reliving her past and she's ready to live in the future so she's got to pump these tvs out yep like she loves making new stuff she said that to us during the red tv era right like she's found lately that she's the happiest when she's just making stuff and doing her taylor's versions she's redoing past work she's redoing past recorded songs she's recording past written songs she's not doing anything new even though vault songs are new to us they're not new to her she's known that she's had these songs for years and i really believe and danny i know you agree with me because we've talked about this before and not on the pod or maybe we did even talk about it on the pod. I don't remember. Anyway, we think that she is going to release the rest of her Taylor's versions. The remaining three, we have 1989, Reputation, and Debut, which that's the order I think they're going to be released. No one can tell me anything differently. That is just Other than facts. Taylor. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Taylor has told me that I'm wrong before. But... <laughs> She didn't get my memo. We think that she's going to release the remaining three before the Eras tour is over because I feel like that would be a really beautiful sentimental cap on the Eras era is by the end of tour, by the end of her international dates or her rumored second leg of the U.S. tour. We don't know. We don't know. It's just a rumor. But by the end of it, I bet you will have all the Taylor's versions and she will consider that to be the end of the Eras era and will give her like a clean slate to move forward with her career and for us to start paying more attention to her new, new work. Step. Yeah. That's our theory, our long-winded theory. If you have another theory or anything else you want to tell us, yeah. you can always send us an email, taylearningpodcast at gmail.com. On our break, we'll have more time to respond to y'all, but I really want to reiterate, if you've emailed us, we have read it, even if we have not responded. I promise you. But if you- It's like start and like, like we can organize mm-hmm. our emails much better than our DMs. For sure. But to that point, you can DM us, Podcast on instagram and on tiktok we try to respond there much quicker because one of us can respond rather than writing out something together on email and we are on twitter technically at Taylearning, but we don't really go on there but you can follow us if you want to 
don't forget as always to rate this podcast wherever you listen it does really help us the more people that rate the podcast and rate it well the more people we attract to our podcast and the better content we can put out for you. So that is always very helpful. If you want to be super, super sweet, leave us a review if you are able to. I know on Apple you are able to, Apple Podcasts. I don't know on Spotify, but like comment down below. Like we always share a question on every episode. So we love reading those. Like literally Danny and I send screenshots to each other whenever you guys comment on them. You guys are just so sweet. So we definitely, definitely do read what you write so let us know what you think and we love hearing from you as always a couple of very special ways to support the podcast if you would like to we love when you share with your friends that's how we grow our tailoring community and we're so proud of it and we just love watching it grow so keep sharing with your friends and another way to support we do have a link in the description of every single episode if you are so inclined to want to support the podcast in like the financial way, but don't feel any pressure to do that because we don't do that for money. Just somebody asked me what that link meant. And I was like, did you click on it? And they said, no. I was like, well, it's not spam. I promise you that. (laughs) That link exists there for that reason. If you would like to. If you would like to, you obviously are not required to by any means. Anywho, Uh, we'll see you next week for our season two finale. We're going to miss you guys, but we'll be coming back stronger and better than ever for season three. Hug coffee, coffee. poop, (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Sometimes we poop in the middle of the podcast. (laughs) We do. It's true. We're not going to lie to you. Yeah, no, we can't lie to you. We tell you this is an amateur podcast. We really meant it. Like, Mm -hmm. the bathroom is right there. (laughs) Yeah, it's too too easy. It's too easy. We're not near one another. (laughs) Y'all can't see us. Nope. (laughs) How would you know? (laughs) (laughs) They're going to know.